Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning. How are we this morning? Hey, it's really, uh, really good to be here at uh, Gateway Redlands, continuing our parables series this morning. You know, parables are Jesus pointing to everyday people in everyday places to help us to understand an unseen spiritual reality. I I love Jesus' parables. He's such a brilliant storyteller. Uh, I'm loving this series. I'm loving seeing what God is doing uh, across our campuses. Last Sunday, I was at our uh, city campus, only five weeks old, right in the heart of the city, a whole bunch of uh, people gathering in there, old faces and new faces, people coming to know Jesus, just loving seeing what God is doing there. But it's great to be in the Redlands today. As I walked in this morning, Law came up to me and said, this is still your favourite campus, isn't it? (laughs) Of course. Of course, Gateway Redlands is my favourite. I, I live in the Redlands. I, uh, I just love what uh, God is doing here. And it's really great to be with you this morning. But even uh, more important than that, I became a grandfather 10 days ago. And, uh, and she's actually here today, sitting right up the back. So there are some photos to go on the screen. But you, oh, I was going to show mum and dad first, but uh, anyway, grandparents, uh, just go back a couple of photos there. There they are. There's uh, Caitlin and Brenton. Congratulations. You have brought a beautiful little granddaughter, Aurelia Joy, uh, into our family, and she is pretty cute. Everybody said to me, becoming a, uh, a grandpa will change your life. She'll break your heart. And I thought they were just being soppy and sentimental. But uh, I, I got to admit, she is pretty cool. And uh, God has done something good in my heart. Every time I look at her, I just praise God for her. And I've been reminded this morning, actually, of just uh, the beauty and the joy of being part of a church family. You know, when, uh, when I first started as a pastor at Gateway Baptist Church, our, our youngest son was two. Caitlin was probably uh, six, and uh, you know we've seen a whole bunch of people gather around our kids and invest into them and into their relationship with God and see them grow in their understanding of who God is, and we've been so blessed as parents. Uh, and then I've seen, particularly down here at this campus, I've seen our eldest daughter, Jess, who's the kids and youth pastor, and Caitlin and Brenton, who've joined her team down here from day one, just investing in to a generation of young people in the Redlands. And uh, I'm just looking forward to a whole bunch of people gathering around little Aurelia Joy in the years to come and helping her know the love and the grace of Jesus. I hope you understand what a joy and a privilege it is to be part of a local church that loves kids, that loves investing into the next generation. I hope there was joy in your heart as you gave in the offering this morning. I hope there was joy in your heart as you watched the kids stream out to a great uh, kids space this morning to hear the good news about Jesus and have a whole bunch of other people 
people along, walk alongside you and invest into your kids. Is there joy in your heart this morning? Come on, God is good. He gives us the incredible privilege of being part of a church, being part of a big family who, uh, who love on our kids. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a perfect father. God, you are so good in all that you do. In every season, in every situation, you always have what is best for us in your heart. God, you always know what is best and you have the power and the wisdom, the ability to bring about what is best for us, even when we don't see it ourselves. So God, this morning, we just declare that you are a good God. You're a faithful God. You are good and your love endures forever. You are faithful throughout the generations. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I need you to remember a number this morning, all right? I want you to remember the number 17,063, all right? It could mean a whole bunch of things, but I'll tell you a little bit later what it means, but I need you to remember 17,063. Just say it with me, 17,063. Remember that number. Hey, uh, I want to share from one of my favorite parables this morning. It's a, one of the reasons I love this parable is that Jesus tells us what it's all about before he even tells us the parable. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read Jesus' parables, and he's a great storyteller. His stories are still being told 2,000 years later. But sometimes I, I, I read his uh, uh, parables, and you know, 10 virgins waiting with torches, and I'm thinking... You know, what is all that about? You know, I went to Bible college to learn what it was all about and uh, it took me about nine years to get through Bible college. And about nine years later, you know, I still didn't understand what it was all, that about, or what it was all about. But in Luke chapter 18, Luke records one of Jesus' parables and I love it because he tells us what it's all about in the very first verse. In verse one, it says, Jesus told them this parable to show us that we should always pray and not give up. Why does he tell us this parable? That we should? Let me get why Colin got it. Let's see if I can just get the rest of us to read the words on the screen. He told us this parable so that we should? So before we even start reading the parable, we know what it's all about. But let's, uh, let's just read the rest of it together. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I mean, she's a scary widow. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so Jesus tells this story, he tells this parable about a leader who didn't care about God. 
He, he didn't worship God. He didn't fear God. He didn't think, you know, that, that God was anything or anyone to be worried about. And nor did he care about the people that he was leading. He, he was put in a position to lead a community of people, to do what is fair and to do what is right and to do what is just for the community that he was leading. But in this parable, Jesus is pointing, remember a parable is where Jesus points to an everyday person or an everyday place to uncover an unseen spiritual reality. And so he points he points to a judge. People would have understood you know, what it was like to have a leader in a community like this. But he's pointing to a particular leader who is supposed to bring about justice, who is supposed to, to, to help those that are in trouble, who is supposed to do what is right and fair and just. He points to a leader and says, I want you to imagine a leader over a community that just doesn't care about God, doesn't care that God's appointed him into that position, and he doesn't care about the people that he's leading. And so when this poor widow, this powerless woman at the time, comes to the leader of the community and says, I need some help, he doesn't care. He says, lifelines are free call. You know, go and call someone who cares? Because I don't care. But even though, you know, she got knocked back, even though what she was asking for didn't happen, it says, Jesus tells a story that she didn't give up. She kept bothering him. She kept nagging him. I want you just to try and imagine, just use your imagination this morning, I want you to imagine you're sitting on the lounge at home and a woman walks into the room and asks you to help with something that you don't want to do. Can anybody here imagine that this morning? There's a, there's a couple of you. There's a couple of you that are honest enough to say, yes, you can imagine it. But when you refuse to do it the first time, she doesn't give up. She keeps nagging you and nagging you. She's like a dripping tap. It just doesn't stop. Can, can anybody still imagine what, as a, as a couple of you, without wives sitting next to you, that's, uh, <laughs> that's brave. She eventually, even though you don't want to get up and do what she's asking you to do, you eventually get up and do what she asks because she won't stop nagging you. Now just leave your lounge room for a minute and just come back to Jesus' story. In Jesus' parable, this woman kept nagging this bloke and eventually she wore him out it says, with her nagging. You know, the, the word there, the Greek word that's actually been translated into bothering him, if, if you actually translate it literally word for word, it says, she blackened his eyes. I, I mean, she, she nagged him to such an extent that he felt beaten up. I, I mean, this is world champion nagging. I mean, this is, this is Olympic nagging. 
I mean, if nagging was an Olympic sport, this woman would win gold. You might know someone who would take out the silver this morning. They might be sitting next to you, but this woman, she'd win gold. She nags and she nags and she nags until she'd get what she asked for, until this uncaring bloke reluctantly gives in. You know, this is one of the few, one of the few sorry, parables of comparison that are in the Scriptures. There's only a couple of others. You see, as Jesus is telling this story, he, he's actually saying, you know that God is nothing like the judge in this story. You, you know that God is nothing like this uncaring, unjust judge in this story. You, you know that our, our God is a God who loves to bring justice to the oppressed. Read the Old Testament, you know, book after book, story after story, you know, uh, uh, about God speaking up and, and acting and sending prophets on behalf of the oppressed. You know that God loves to heal the brokenhearted. You know that God loves to bring salvation to the lost. You know, our God is nothing like the bloke in this story, in fact, the only reason that Jesus hasn't come again sooner is not that he is he's deaf and not that he is slow, but he wants more people. He wants more people to come to salvation. Second Peter, it says, you know, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand slowness, but he is patient. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to miss out. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Now, God is nothing like the leader in this story. Our heavenly Father is someone who loves to bring salvation to the lost. He loves to bring justice to the oppressed. He loves to heal the brokenhearted. And so Jesus is telling them this parable so that they would always pray and, let me try it again, always pray and not give up. That they'd always pray and not give up. The problem is, we, we live in this instantaneous fast food culture. You see, we want what we ask for now. You know, as you're driving out of here this morning and, and you're driving down the road and, and you see those golden arches and, and they actually just start to invite you in, you know, and, and your car just automatically starts to turn in, you follow, you know, those, those, those golden arches. You drive in and you'll, you'll drive up to that window and, and you'll put an order in at the window and you'll look up on the board and you'll see this big, juicy hamburger called a Big Mac on the board. And you'll point to it and you say, I'll have one of those. And you drive to the next window and by the time you get there, your food is ready for you. Now, when you unpack it, that big, juicy burger that was up on the board is all shriveled and the life's been sucked out of it. And some 14-year-old kid has spat on it as he's, as he's putting it together and he's squashing it into a packet. 
and you shove it down your gob in, in kind of Olympic time trial as, as if, as if there's, a, there's a race to see who can get it down the first. And it tastes disgusting. Like, I mean, it's not even, doesn't even taste like real food. But you don't care. Because you want what you ask for now. You didn't have to wait. You didn't have to prepare anything. You didn't have to, to have to wait for people to cook real food. You kind of, you put your order in and within seconds it's been given to you and then seconds later it's inside your gullet. You see, we want what we ask for now. We want information fast. We want food fast. We want our prayers to get answered fast. We don't want to wait. Sometimes I see this, we, we, we actually get impatient with God because we asked him to do something five minutes ago and he hasn't done it yet. We asked him to do something five weeks ago. This is God of all eternity. And he hasn't done it yet. And we start to question, well, does prayer really work? Or is, is God really good? Does God even care? Because we want what we ask for now, not later. You know, I've just become a, uh, a grandfather just in the last 10 days. But uh, Greg and Barb... They're, they're experienced grandparents. Greg and Barb have been around Gateway for a long time. They are legends of the faith around this place. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to, uh, to, to Greg and Barb during the week. And uh, they reminded me of a time when uh, they were first going out. They were, this before they were married, before they had uh, kids. And they were just going out together as a young couple. And uh, Barb had actually moved back to England, uh, where she'd emigrated from uh, years before for a short time to, uh, to visit family and to, and to do some study. And while she was gone, it was then that Greg realised he didn't want to be apart from Barbara ever again. And he decided to ask her to marry him. And so back then, it was a few years ago, you know, Greg, uh, Greg went to his desk and he took out his feather <laughs> and he dipped it in an inkwell and then he unrolled a piece of papyrus <laughs> and he wrote on that piece of papyrus, Dearest Barbie Girl, that, that's what he used to call her back then, I love you, I can't stand being apart from you. I think you're a hottie. Will you marry me? Love, Greggy boy. And then he took that piece of papyrus and he folded it up and he put it in this little white thing called an envelope. And he stuffed it into that envelope and then he licked the back of the envelope and, and, and put it together. And then he, then he got some wax and he sealed the envelope with, with wax, and then he went outside and he got on his penny farthing and he, he rode his penny farthing down to the postmaster's house and the, he talked to the postmaster for a little while and then he bought this little thing called a stamp 
and it had a picture of the King of England on it. And <laughs> that's a joke for all you young people. And then he, he licked the back of that stamp and he, he put it on, on the envelope and he handed his letter you know, over to the postmaster, and and the postmaster, he took it by horse and cart to the port of Brisbane. And the port of Brisbane, he gave it to a a, a ship captain, and then the ship set sail, and it sailed for England, the old country. And and six weeks later, it arrived in England, and the postmaster picked it up and took it to, uh, you know, Barb's auntie's house where she was staying. Barb opened it and read the letter and thought, oh, that's lovely, he wants to marry me. And so she sat down at her desk and she took out her feather and she dipped it in inkwell and she started to write on a piece of papyrus. And she wrote, dear Greggy boy, you know, uh, thank you for your kind offer of marriage. It's a big decision. I'll have to think about it. I'll get back to you soon. (laughs) And then she put an envelope, six weeks later, went back across the oceans and landed in Greg's letterbox and he went out one day and he could smell an envelope with Barb's perfume on it. This is now three months later, all right? And and he opens it up and, and, and it says, I'll get back to you soon. You gotta be kidding me. The guy's been waiting for three months for an answer to his question. And it's a really important question. You know, we would not think of waiting that long for an answer to a question today. If we want to talk to someone on the other side of the world, we just pull out our smartphone and we instantly Skype them. We can see them, we get an instant answer to our question immediately. Now this is normal for us today. You know, but when I was a young boy, the only people who could do that was George Jetson and his wife Jane. It was a far-fetched fantasy. Who can remember the name of the kids? Elroy and Judy, you can remember the name of the robot? Anyone remember the name of the robot? Free coffee, anyone who can remember the name of the robot? Rosie, free coffee for someone up the back. Well done, Lisa. What about the name of the dog? Anyone remember the name of the dog? Astro, well done. You can't all have a free coffee for that. You see, this was once in my lifetime. This was a far-fetched fantasy. But today, this is just normal life. We want what we ask for now. Now, by the way, very few elements of that story about Greg and Barb were true. <laughs> but, you know, these days, you know, when, when Greg's hard at work on a crossword and he feels like a cup of tea, he doesn't even wait for Barb to walk into the room to get what he wants now. He just sends her a text, says... Dear, dear Barbie, I, I'd really like a cup of tea. How about you get one for an old bloke? <laughs> Love Greggy boy. Instant. You see, I tell those stories because I, I actually have found, I don't know about you, that quite often God answers prayer at snail mail speed rather than Skype speed. 
And it's not because, it's not because, you know, God wants us to twist his arm behind his back and to change his mind. There's a couple of exceptional examples in the Old Testament about people praying and changing God's mind, but they're exceptional examples. God wants us to pray and not give up because he needs to change our mind. He needs to change our heart. He he understands what we don't yet understand. And so he calls us to persevere in prayer until we see it happen. You see, my grandmother is one of the few people that until recently has still sent me communication via snail mail. You know, she would write me a letter put it in the letterbox and it arrive in, she lives in Sydney, and arrive in my place in, uh, in Brisbane. And, and often it would have in it some, some clippings that she'd found. She'd say, this might be helpful for your sermon. They never were. But, uh, <laughs> but it was lovely to get handwritten mail. And I'm 46 years old, and up until, this will be the first year, that uh, I won't get a handwritten card sent in the mail with a cheque in it for my birthday for my grandmother, which was much more helpful. And uh, because just a couple of months ago, my my 99-year-old grandmother passed away. I had the privilege of leading her funeral uh, down in Sydney. Do you know my grandmother, who's never Skyped anyone in her life, she prefers to wait for the or wait. She preferred to wait for the envelope to arrive. Do you know she has prayed for me and every member of my family and our extended family by name every day of our lives. Do you know how many prayers that means she's prayed for me? Who remembers that number? Just just say it one more time. 17,063 prayers. My grandmother prayed for me by name. I've got to say it's the best funeral I've ever been a part of. It's people just testified to her faith and her love over 99 years. And after the funeral, we all gathered as a family at my, in my uncle's uh, apartment. And we was all standing on a balcony together. It was 40-something of us, three generations that are left. Unfortunately, the fourth generation didn't quite make it in utero. Do you know every single person standing on that balcony has been prayed for every day of their lives by my grandmother and every single person standing on that balcony has a living relationship with Jesus Christ and he's active in their local church somewhere in Australia. Seven of us are pastors. I'm silly enough to believe that maybe God has answered her prayers, that God has tipped out power from heaven as day after day after day and season after season after season and decade after decade after decade, she has prayed for us by name. I've worked it out if I live to 95 and I pray 17,053 more prayers for Aurelia, I'll catch up. Jesus says, pray, keep praying, and do not give up. 
I wonder if we've brought our instantaneous fast food culture into our spirituality. When we don't see an answer to prayer in the first five minutes, we lose heart, we give up, and we stop praying. I want us to remember that God sees. This isn't about persevering in prayer. is isn't about twisting you know, God's arm behind his back to do something good for us. We need to remember that God sees what we do not see. He knows what we do not know. And he pours out power from heaven to earth when we pray in his time. I I, I, I learnt this lesson the first time, a long time ago, when I first started in ministry. I I spent every Friday teaching RE in a a local high school in Sydney, in the western suburbs of Sydney. And at times it felt like hell on earth. I tell you, trying to tell classrooms full of high schoolers about the love of Jesus was hard work. There was this young girl in my class named Shelley. She was in my class from year 7 to year 10. Shelley was like Angela. She was, she was pretty and sweet looking. She just looked nice. I mean, nothing like Jason. She just looked nice and kind and she smiled. And, and I just knew that God's hand was on her life. And I prayed for Shelley every Friday, just believing that Shelley was going to put her faith in Jesus, come from unchurched family, never been to church in her life. But I just knew that God's hand was on her life. I prayed for her every Friday, year seven, year eight, year nine, year ten. I'd say, Shelley, you know, what, what do you think about all this stuff for, about, about Jesus? And she'd say, oh, it's nice, but I don't think it's really for me. Um, fair enough. But I was frustrated with God. I, I remember praying, saying, God, this is easy for you. She's nice. I mean, the rest of the class were throwing things and people out the window. You know, it was, it was mayhem. And Shelley would just sit and listen to everything I had to say. I remember the last day of year 10, I said, God, this is the last time she's ever going to be in my class. I just believe your hand is on a life. And I remember sitting in my office and I just felt like God put in my heart, I want you to claim her whole family by faith. I remember just arguing a little bit because, God, I haven't even seen her come to know Jesus and the rest of her family are rat bags. I mean, I knew her older brother's you know, I was always, you know, creating these awesome surf camps for her brothers to come on, and uh, they'd never come. And, uh, and I'd always catch in Brendan, her older brother, you know, smoking dope down behind the school toilets and having to decide whether I should dob him in or not. And, uh, and he's just not remotely interested in anything I was talking about. I remember that very day as I was prayed for her whole family. Brendan came up to me. It was his last day, year 12. He was two years older. He came up to me in the teacher's car park where he wasn't supposed to be. That was pretty normal for Brendan. And he said to me, in the last day of school, Chappy Jace, my life is a mess. And uh, I don't know what to do about it. But I actually want to come on this camp with Brom, who was one of his mates who was coming to these camps I was, I was running. I want to come to this camp in a couple of weeks' time, if that's all right. I said, of course, mate, come along. And he says, is it all right if I bring Shelley with me? I said, of course, come along. 
Anyway, two weeks later, as I stood on a stage and I started to preach the gospel about Jesus, that he came to earth as a man, a real man, the most incredible, more impact on history than any other man that's ever lived. He died on a cross to, 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 as a sacrifice for our sins. But on the third day, he rose from the dead and he's alive today and he gives each of us hope and purpose for our lives. He gives all of us an eternal relationship with God. So if today's your day to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to get you to walk down the front in front of all these people. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Still remember Brendan, dreadlocked, probably a bit stoned still, walks down the front, in front of all of his mates, puts his faith in Jesus Christ. Two weeks later, he led Shelley to, to faith in Jesus. His whole family came to know Jesus, became a part of the church that I was a part of. I've had the joy of going back to Sydney and marrying them and seeing their family grow and generations come through their family. You see, it wasn't that I had to twist God's arm for God to pour his love and grace into Shelley's life. He just had something bigger he was wanting to do. And he was just calling me to persevere, for me to hear his voice until we got to see it happen. You see, there's a verse in Ephesians 3, verse 20 that we all know. We put it on screensavers. We cross-stitch it onto our wall. Uh, It said, God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. Who knows that verse? Come on, put your hand up if you know that verse. God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. He's not just able to do more than what we ask He's not just able to do what we ask. He's not just able to do more than what we ask. He's able to do immeasurably more than anything that we ask or imagine. That is what our God is like. But we often forget the last part of the verse. It says, according according to his power at work within us. You see, what God has done, he has put power within you that actually gets measured out as we pray. It actually gets measured out as you, as you pray, as you cry out to God. There's the power of God gets measured out. It moves from heaven to earth. God is able to do immeasurably more than all that you've ever asked or imagined according to his power that is at work within you right now. But it comes out through prayer. You see, earlier in the Gospels, the disciples had seen Jesus pray and people get healed. People's lives get transformed. People get set free from, uh, from, from demons. Food turns up. Miraculous things happen. And they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to pray like that. And he says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You're bigger than anyone. May your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And then a little bit later, when Jesus knows that you know, soon he's going to be leaving his disciples and they're going to be confused and they're not going to be sure what's going to happen next and there's going to be tough times that they go through, he teaches them this parable and says, don't just pray at once, but keep praying and don't give up through every season. And then a little bit later again, right at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, as the church is going through one of the most torrid times ever in history, people have been burnt at the stake, people have people are been imprisoned, people are losing their families and their homes. John, one of Jesus' best mates, he gets a, a picture into the heavenly realms 
And we see in Revelation chapter 8 this incredible picture John gets to see. This big golden bowl full of incense and all the prayers of the saints being filled up in this bowl. Prayers year after year, person after person, just getting filled up into this bowl in a time where the church needed encouragement. John sees this picture of all the prayers of the saints being tipped out from heaven to earth and it says there's lightning and there's thunder and the earth is impacted by what happens in heaven. You see, there is power that God has put within you that gets measured out as you pray. It doesn't always happen at Skype speed. Sometimes it happens at snail mail speed. It happens when when, when God knows the perfect timing and there will be a time where all the prayers of the saints get tipped out over families, over regions, over cities, over churches, over nations. There is a time if people will pray and not give up, that we see power from heaven move to earth and bring change and transformation in people's lives. Does anyone want to be part of seeing that happen more and more? Does anyone want to be part of seeing that happen in your family, in this church, in this city, in this nation? I just want to finish two really simple things. I believe God tells us right throughout Scripture in this parable and in all of the teaching around prayer that really stand out. Firstly, God is calling us to an intimate dependence on Him in prayer. This woman's just completely dependent, completely dependent on this leader. You know, she she had no power of her own in this culture, completely dependent on the person that she's asking for help from. And God is calling us into a place with all of the wonders of modern science and all of, all of the, the incredible technology that we have today and, and all of the wealth that we have in this nation. God is calling us to a place of complete dependence on him. People often say, why is God seen to be so much more powerfully at work out on the mission field in third world countries, you know, where there's such an incredible need? Why are people seeing such power? I tell you, we've got too comfortable. God is needing to wake us up. We've got, we've got the wonders of technology, and they are wonders. We've got the, the brilliance of, of modern medicine and modern science, and it is brilliant, and we should be thankful to God for it. And we've got incredible wealth in this nation, and we should give thanks every day for the incredible wealth that we have. That means we can drive a car into this place. We can worship together in, in a nice place, and we can go home to a comfortable uh, home today. We should be thankful to God for that every day. But I tell you what it does. If you're not careful, we actually become too dependent on ourselves and we lose our dependence on God. I saw it happen in my own life. I remember being at a prayer meeting many years ago now, trying to sit on my seat and not being able to. As God's Spirit just came upon me, I ended up on my face on the floor in front of our church at a prayer meeting. Only one campus back then, but some of you would have been there at Mackenzie. And I just began to confess how I was leading the church and I was just living out of my own strength, my own wisdom and my own power and I was tired and I just couldn't do it anymore. And God was calling me to a new place of intimacy and dependence on him and it changed my life. Even though it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, I was almost in the, in the moment God just began to lift me up because that's what God is like. He doesn't actually want to put us down. He wants to lift us up. It says he lifts up, he exalts the humble. 
God is calling us to a place of dependence on him. It's not Prayer is not about twisting his arm. It's about him getting our ear. It's about learning to listen in an intimate dependence on God. And lastly, God is waiting for us to be desperate for his power. This woman's desperate. She had nowhere else to turn. Absolutely desperate for the man of power to help her. I tell you, if, if, the, if, the sign, if, if the sign of our dependence on God is our intimacy in prayer, then the sign of our desperation for God is our willingness to fast. I've got to say, I'm here today fasting something that's right through the Bible. Jesus says when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast or if you think it's a good idea to fast. He says to his followers, when you fast... I hate fasting. I find it really difficult. But I've seen God move in power in my life when I've done it. I've seen God move in power in my family. I've seen God move in power in our church when I've done it. And I just believe some of God's calling some of us to a place of just desperation. You're desperate for His power. I remember the first time I fasted, I was just, uh, just began in ministry and I was... Uh, I wasn't seeing God do what I believed He could do. I wasn't seeing young people get saved. And I really believe that's what He called me to do. I remember fasting for the first time. I went to this little place up on a lake in central New South Wales. And I remember the end of day one. And this little possum ran across the porch in front of me. I tell you, that possum was in grave danger. I, I, could, I could picture him just on a little spit roast. A little bit of garlic and olive oil. I, I could eat that possum, I tell you. I, I just remember day two just praying to God, God, I want a Tim Tam. God, God, I want steak. God, I just want a dry old jam sandwich. God, I want food. But God, I want you more. God, I want you more. God, I want you more. And I remember in that moment and uh, many, many times since, God has just done something powerful in my heart. It's not like God sitting there going, oh, Jason's a good boy. He's going hungry for me. That's not what fasting's about. Fasting's actually about putting aside everything else that's important to us and saying, God, I want you more than anything. God, I want to see a breakthrough in this area. I want to see a breakthrough. And God did. God broke through in me. I started to have a faith that that God was at work in powerful ways. And I just trusted him that every time I spoke, God was at work in people's hearts in powerful ways in a way that I never had before. I've seen breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough in fasting. I still hate it. Even though I know how powerful it is, I still hate it. I tell you, our, our willingness to pray and be intimate with Jesus in prayer it, it is a sign of our dependence on God. And our willingness to fast and cry out to God and say, God, I want you more than anything. It's the greatest sign of our desperation for God. I wonder this morning if there's a prayer in your heart that God is just reminding you. He put it there. It's His prayer. It might be a prayer for your family. It might be a prayer for your business. It might be a prayer for your workplace. It might be a prayer for your school. It might be a prayer for this church. 
It might be a prayer for the city of Redlands. It might be a prayer for the state of Queensland. It might be a prayer for this nation of Australia. It desperately needs revival, desperately needs the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus just breaking through into the heart of our nation. What is the prayer that God has put on your heart this morning? Jesus says to you, whatever it is, I want you to pray and not give up. Say it with me. Jesus wants us to pray and not give up. Come on, let's stand together this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.